you please open your Bibles to John chapter 18. If you have one, if not, there's a pew Bible in front of you. You can just grab one of those. And I just want to say I think that was the best gospel-centered children's message I've ever heard. I, I felt like I understood the gospel better after seeing that. So that was great, Meredith. Thank you. Thumbs up. Um, some background. Last week, we followed Christ from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. There he prays, and he leaves three disciples to be waiting and watching. That's not what they did. They slept. Jesus, Judas then led a crowd to them. Jesus says, who are you seeking? We're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And if you remember, Jesus says, I am, which is the Old Testament name of God. And they fall down when they hear the name of God spoken before them as God himself spoke it. The disciples flee. Christ voluntarily surrenders himself. They take him. It's late at night. They take him to Annas, who is the ex-high priest's house, the son-in-law of the current high priest Caiaphas. And there they tried to get him to indict himself about his own teachings and his disciples, what he's been teaching. Now, while he's been examined there, there's another story going on. There's two of his disciples, probably Peter and John, and they follow him. And there we see the story of Peter denying Jesus three times. Now, why does John include this in his letter? Well, remember, God wants to show us that Jesus, like he just said in John 15, is the vine and we are the branches. And apart from him, we can do nothing. And as Christ has just called Peter to pray and watch, he sleeps. And right after that, we see his heart gripped by shame and fear as he renounces his Savior. Let's just read the text and then we'll pray starting at John 18, verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of these men's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. 
When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Let's pray for our time. We already prayed for our time. Did we already pray for our time? We didn't pray for our time. We did last week. Let's pray for our time. Father, thank you so much. I have a lot going through my mind, and I get muddled. Lord, and I just praise you for the Savior, and I thank you for the Holy Spirit who speaks through your word to us. God, and I see Peter, I see his shame, I see how quickly his pride has turned to shame when he's disappointed in what Jesus can be or was for him. Lord, and that can be us as well. God, I pray that you and your Spirit would examine our hearts now Show us where there might be shame because we've set up improper expectations, God, and bring us back to a simple trust of Christ in all areas of our life. And yet, show your greatness and your glory to us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, shame can be a very powerful motivator in our lives, can it? When I was 13 years old, my parents had recently divorced, and my mom was going to start a new career leaving DHR, which she had done for years in Montgomery, and we moved to Huntsville. And we moved from a nice house to a much smaller house. And I was going to quite a nice school at the time, and I'll never forget, there was a, a boy who I really wanted to be good friends with. And his mom said, look, why don't we take you to pizza tonight? and I'll come by your house and pick you up. And I was so excited being new to Huntsville, I really didn't know anybody there. And I stepped outside my house, and I turned around and I looked. And I looked at my house, and it was small. And I felt ashamed. And so I looked at the house three doors down, and it was big. And so in my shame, I walked down the street, and I stood in front of that house. And they came and picked me up, and were none the wiser. Shame can be a powerful motivator. And that's what we see in John 18. Peter is going from prideful boasting in his love for Christ to now that he's so gripped by the shame of what's happened that he denies his faith even to a young girl. Now, The reason I think it's shame is because he had just cut the high priest's ear off. I don't think he was afraid. I think there was something else motivated him. Now, why would he cut the high priest's ear off? Well, here's what's happening. Jesus thought the Messiah, Jesus was going to, or Peter thought the Messiah was going to come in and proclaim himself the Christ, usher in the kingdom of David. And there Peter would be on his right or on his left to rule and to reign with him. 
But things had turned out much differently than what he expected. And the result was shame as he's there in the court and the one that he thought was entering the city to be proclaimed the Messiah, the King, to cast off the chains of Rome was now being persecuted and beaten and spit upon by the high priest himself. And so Christ comes to him after the cross and he says, Peter, do you love me? Which is like saying, are you still ashamed of me? Or do you love me? And Peter, of course, says, you know I love you. You see, Christ knows the weakness of the disciples. So in the garden, He calls them to watch and to pray. Peter felt his greatest need was to sleep, not to worship. So instead of finding grace and strength to meet the battle that was before them, his heart then is controlled by shame and he comes crashing down and denies the Savior three times. Now I want to ask you, do you often find your heart and your mind is controlled by shame. say, what does that look like? Well, it comes when your models or your expectations are not met. When they're not from Jesus. The question is then, where have you taken your models and your expectations from? You see, shame comes when there's a distance between what you think something should be and what it actually is. So, when your daughter's playing softball and she doesn't do so well, and you respond in shame to her, maybe not even going to her games or encouraging her or putting her down because there's a distance, isn't there, which, between the way you thought she should perform and her striking out three times. Or your house. You might not ask that people pick you up three houses down like I did as a young boy, but maybe you just don't invite people to come to your house because you feel shame. You make excuses. The car you drive. Shame always comes when there's a distance. And the Gospel then sets us free when we begin to see that Christ took the shame of our sins upon the cross. And the greatest distance, of course, comes between the Father and His holiness and us and our sin. And that's exactly what Jesus took on the cross. So now there is no shame between us and the Father and the life that the Lord gives us to live. Now there's three things that we want to see as we unpack this. First, pride and self-sufficiency. So here's point one. If you're following along, taking notes, pride and self-sufficiency. If you look in your Bibles at John 13, verse, back up a little bit, verse 36 to 38. Verse 36 to 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. That's the background. It's Passover season. Jesus says, little children, 
yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you not, cannot come. And so Peter thinks you're leaving. Where are you going? Why aren't you leaving us? Jesus' response is, where I go, I'm going, you cannot come. Peter says, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. You see the interchange? Jesus says, you can't. Peter says, I can. I can do it. Do you see the pride in his heart? Do you see the self-sufficiency? Now, Matthew 26, 40 and 41, I want to read to you. It's just another way of saying that story we just read in John 18. Let me read it to you. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It was late. When they entered the garden on the side of the city, several things were going on. First, they would come here on a regular basis. They knew this place quite well. They probably went there to sleep. Christ went off to pray. And so to them, they're tired. This is like any other night. They're not putting the pieces together. And what's remarkable is Christ had prepared them again and again and again for what's going to happen. John 13, little children, I will be with you for a little while. John 14, I'm going to a place for you, to prepare a place for you. John 14, 18, a little while and you will see me no more. John 16, they will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you thinks he is offering service to God. So with the greatest warnings, Christ had been preparing His sheep for what's to come, telling them to pray. Now, why? Why did Peter sleep? Why did he not obey? Why did he not listen? And I think the answer is unbelief and pride. He didn't believe he needed to. He thought the greatest need of his heart was sleep. He was overconfident. The former heavyweight boxer James Quick Tillis tells a story that he was from Oklahoma and he's going to Chicago and he's got two cardboard suitcases and he gets off the bus and he goes and he what's the tower he goes to he says he goes to the Sears Tower and he looks up and he puts his suitcases down and he says Chicago I'm gonna own you and when he looked down his suitcases were gone So it is with Peter, right? He he told Jesus, I can do it. And when he looked down, he was alone, and he denied Jesus three times. Christ's encouragement to us is the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The very thing that he told them in the garden. The person of God is invisible, but the work of the spirit in the believer's life is is discernible. It it bears effects. He gives us grace as we deal with Jesus in obedience. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit gives us grace as we deal and follow Jesus in obedience. Peter disobeyed Christ's words because of all of his self-confidence 
And the very next thing we see is he is denying and his heart then is gripped with shame. My friends, when you examine your lives, is there a practice of dependence upon Jesus or self-confidence? I can do this. You see, dependence simply looks to the Spirit to give me ability and grace when I worship, when I commune with my fellowship and with everything that comes at me in life. It says, I can't do this. I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit. Self-confidence lives in such a way that time with Jesus is just not a priority. He deals with us in grace as we deal with Him in obedience. A Christian can't lose the Spirit's presence, but we can lose the Spirit's comfort, can't we? Through the Spirit, the believer's willingness to obey... Jesus are interwoven with the Spirit's work of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and on and on. As we obey Christ, the Holy Spirit works unbelievable grace in our life. That's how he says the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let me say it like this. Christ is our greatest benefactor, and he is our Lord. Amen? He is our greatest benefactor. means he gives us amazing things. He's our benefactor. But he's also our Lord. Two sides of the same coin. We have to see him as both. And the more we follow and obey Christ as Lord, his will, the more the Spirit works as a benefactor, transforming our lives into his image, and filling us with all those fruits he talks about. Love, joy, peace, patience. But they don't come apart from doing the will of Christ. The Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Point two. There's a result from pride and sufficiency, and second thing is fear and unbelief. Look in your Bibles now at John 18. We'll jump back in our text at verse 15 to 17. John 18, verse 15 to 17. Let me just read that once more. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of these men's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. During those days, Rome appointed a new high priest almost every year. The problem with that is Jewish law said you'd have one high priest for their whole life. So here we see Caiaphas held the office, but his father-in-law, Annas, the ex-high priest, held the power. Does that make sense? And that's the reason Jesus is going there. Now Jesus, at night, goes to Annas' house First, they question him about his doctrine, what have you been teaching, and about his disciples. Who are they? Then to Caiaphas, and they probably lived together. Peter, this unknown disciple who's probably John, are following behind the scene. They're following behind the soldiers. Unknown disciple knows the high priest's family, so he comes in to the court and can see what goes on. 
He then goes back out to let his mate Peter in. Verse 17. The servant go out the door said to Peter, You're not one of these man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Who is she? She has no power. She has no authority. She's not threatening. She's just a slave girl, a servant girl. And yet his courage and his faith breaks down and suddenly he finds himself full of shame. He's weak and he answers with a lie. Twelve hours after, he said, that's impossible. And he camouflages himself. Verse 18. Now the servants and officers had made a coal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, stood and warming himself. So what does he do? He doesn't want to be known. He goes to the fire and he kind of gets around. He's just one of the boys around the fire. They won't know who I am. He's camouflaging himself, you might say. I might be strong, but the text says they're questioning Jesus about the disciples, who they are. Peter knows this. He's shaking with his, in his boots and he denies Christ two more times. Suddenly we see Peter just where Judas was left, standing with the mob, denying Christ, shamed, full of fear at being his disciple. Genez Ruz, who was a Nazi supporter in Germany during the war, says he used to cry when he heard laughing outside of his house. In 1945, Ruse was so fearful of the punishment that would come to him for being pro-Nazi during the war, he went and he hid himself for, on his sister's farm. For 32 years, he lived in hiding and in fear and in shame, hiding himself from anyone and everything. After being discovered after those 32 years, he reported that he never left the house he spent all his days in fear just looking down the road at the nearby village, wondering when they were going to come get him, full of his shame. Now, I'm sure Ruse loved life. He wanted to be free. But because of fear and shame, he was motivated and stayed hidden for 32 years. This is very similar to what we see in Peter. He loved Christ. He wanted to follow Him. He wanted to see what happened. But he found himself gripped by shame. And so he denies Him. Now, let's move to the last thing. Lastly, maybe in your life, there's a little bit of Peter. Maybe there's a lot of Peter. Pride and self-sufficiency. Fear and shame. And I want to encourage you, Christ's response to Peter is his response to you if you're his follower. Christ will not break a bruised reed. Verse 12, and we'll finish here. Love and sacrifice, point three. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and they bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father of them, father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now, why is he bound? Why is he taken to the high priest? And the answer is because he's God's lamb and he's about to be sacrificed for your sins. 
in mind. Okay, let me just explain this. Psalm 118.27, listen to this. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. So what we see is sacrifices that were taken to the altar, they were bound. They were bound as they were taken. Jesus, the Lamb of God, wasn't just taken. He was bound when he was taken. The Lamb of God. Now, he comes out of the garden, and what does he do? He enters through the sheep gate. The high priest's house would have been right there, and he goes through the gate where all the sheep would have entered into the city. It's called the sheep gate. And there, Christ, who's bound as a lamb, enters the sheep gate where 270,000 lambs had just entered. You're getting the picture. Next, he's examined by the high priest. Why does that happen? Well, Leviticus 17.5, listen to this in the Old Testament law. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices, that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priests at the entrance of the tent of meetings. Sacrifices always went to the priests to be inspected for purity. And thus, Jesus, who was bound, was led to the high priest who examined him. Verse 19, the high priest questioned him. Do you see, he's fulfilling all the roles of the Lamb of God. Now we must come back to the beginning of the book when John is telling us who Jesus is. And he gives us this testimony. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus became the perfect Lamb. He went to the high priest to be examined just like a lamb would. He went through the sheep gate on Passover just like the lambs for sacrifice did. He was bound that he might be set free or that he might set us free. As the lamb, he takes the bruised reeds like Peter and like you and like me. And he doesn't break us when we stumble. He doesn't cast us off. He comes to us just like he did with Jesus. And he restores us through grace and through repentance. How do we think and live this? Let's finish with this. How do we take this from our head so you have an intellectual understanding that Jesus is the Lamb of God to your heart so it affects how you live this week? After Christ had been resurrected and had appeared to his disciples, he asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Three times he asks. Peter says, Lord, you know I do. Christ calls him to leave his shame behind. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep, he says. Christ was asking him, you are ashamed of me. Now, do you love me? Three times you denied me in your shame. Three times now pronounce that you love me. Because in his shame he denied him three times, his response then is, don't be ashamed of my people. Peter struggled with shame. Peter struggled with shame. My friends, I want to come back to that question. How much do you struggle with shame? Two things. First, don't be ashamed of the sheep 
Christ died for. Don't be ashamed of the sheep Christ died for. When you have an expectation of what a Christian should look like that is not based upon the Scriptures, the result will be shame in your relationship with other believers. And for a church visitor who comes and they experience that, they won't come back because they think God is ashamed of them. What do I mean? Often our expectation for being a Christian is outward. It's a level of put-togetherness that we expect. Or like Peter, who was ashamed to eat with the Gentiles because they were Gentiles, and when the Jews came around, he would have nothing to do with them. Certain families are going to come into your world. They've been divorced. They're in counseling. Their children are struggling. Maybe they have addictions in their life. And I want to ask you, will shame keep you from entering their world with the Gospel? Peter's struggle can be ours as well. The problem is not the people Christ chose to save which are broken like us, but that we have set up a gospel-less expectation often of what a Christian should be and look like. The call then to us is to listen to Jesus when He says, do you love me? And if your response is, yes, Lord, I love you, then His response is, love my sheep. Love my sheep. Love my sheep. Second, and we'll close here. Don't let shame motivate your relationship with God. Can you imagine the shame Peter felt about shame? How hard it must have been to come to Jesus when he had just denied him three times. And often, that's exactly how we feel, isn't it? We dread coming to church sometimes or worshiping or spending time with other Christians because I feel the shame of the distance between what I've done, what I've thought about, what I've said, and who my Savior is. Hebrews 2.11 He is not ashamed to call you brothers. Listen, let's close in the way we begin. We all come to God with an unbelievable amount of guilt. Because of our sin, there is a distance between us and God. Here He is in His absolute holiness. Here we are in our brokenness and our pollutedness and our sin. And shame says, do not come close. And Hebrews 2.11 says, Jesus took that shame on the cross. He took the shame of every sin that we've ever committed if we put our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior on the cross. And now... We're close relationally. And His bid now to us is draw near. Come near to the throne of grace because of the work of the Lamb on your behalf. His death is sufficient. Amen? Heavenly Father, we just praise You for the Lamb. Thank You, Lord. He takes away our shame. God, shame always tells us to go away. Don't come close. Hide in your brokenness. Stay away from believers who don't have it all together. Don't look like you. But Jesus, I praise You. 
Scripture says you didn't come for the righteous, you came for sinners. God, I pray for our church, Lord, that people who come here, whether they're believers or not, and they've got deep and profound struggles in their life, and they walk through those doors with the deepest of shame upon their shoulders, wondering, should I be here? I pray, God, that we would listen to your call to Peter. We would love your sheep. We would have them in our home. We would ask them questions. We would listen to them. We would care for them. We would show them the love of the Savior. And at the same time, when we struggle with the deepest of struggles in our life, we would not let shame distance us from grace because of the Lamb. We would cling to the Lamb by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.